Welcome everybody to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Friday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer experience. So grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your host, Brian Weinstein, and with me on the co-mic, my co-host, Caitlin Postal. Brian, good morning. How are you today? You sound extra crispy on this Uh, fine fall morning. Exactly right. Exactly right. I'm starting to see the first signs of pumpkins. Uh, I shouldn't date this podcast, but uh, I'm starting (laughs) to see those. Here we are in the fall. That's right. Not spring, right? Fall. Fall into fall. fall. We're here. Pumpkin spice lattes. Bring them on. Exactly right. Exactly right. And I think for the first time ever, I we are. I'm going to introduce our guest, and this will be the first time I could say we have a doctor in the house. Uh, oh. Dr. Jason, Jason DiPietro nice. Paolo. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks All for right. having me. No, no, it was great. Great that you could join. Uh, Jason is with us from Channel Ape. So, Jason, give us a little bit of background on on you and where you come yeah. from, and uh, I know it's a great story. Yeah, a little bit, little bit different, you know. You know, uh, you know. Right now, I'm the head of partnerships and one of the co-founders of Channel Eight. But to get there, you know, kind of started in, in this weird scenario where you know I was uh, a chiropractor for 20 years and and practiced and, and had multiple practices and I was always interested in uh, e-commerce and and you know uh, from there kind of had these bottles of vitamins on my shelf and said, hey, I wonder if these things would sell online and and put them online and back in the early days of e-commerce and these bottles sold really quickly and, uh, you know, a light bulb went off in my head and started to get further and further into the weeds in e-commerce and, you know, started out selling a little bit on Amazon and then eBay and then having my own website and, you know, grew to the point where it was really, you know, there was a lot of demand and it was really growing and um, there was no way, there was no automation or any way really for us to, or for me to, you know, take orders and then send them to my warehouse to be fulfilled. You know, I would actually on, on Friday night shut off the store and then manually transcribe uh, order data into my warehouse's WMS to try to do that. So it was really yeah. hard. So kind of went out, you know, back then, you know, probably back in, uh, you know, 2013 or so and, and really said, hey, let's look at the market. I had a great uh, web developer who's uh, my co-founder, um, Mike Averto, and, and we sat down and said, um, hey, there's nothing really out in the market. You know, we, we kind of kicked around some ideas and kicked around some some different tools that were there, you know, at the time. You know, it was back in the early stages of APIs and, and uh, uh, building APIs. So we said, hey, let's just let's just build our own. Yep. You know, so uh, it was really born out of necessity, you know, built it for myself and uh, it worked great. And we had the idea of like, hey, let's put this out to market. Yeah. Um, you know, it works so well for me. I'm sure it'll work for everybody. And yeah, that's not always necessarily true. Yeah. So, kind of failed and, and, and fell apart. And then we said, hey, let's let's kind of rebuild this to scale. Yep. Um, and, and that's what we did. And, and here we are so many years later and kind of solving the same challenges that we solved back for my vitamin business. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I feel like I'm wearing out the tread a little bit on the cliche necessity is the is the mother of invention. But, you know, we speak to a lot of great entrepreneurs like yourself. We had uh, our our founder, the founder of Whiplash, James Marks, um, and he and I have had this conversation a lot. Same sort of scenario, right? He had a need. He was starting out. They were doing T-shirt printing. 
Um, and then they started to get involved with some uh, some bands, some alt music in the alt music scene, and they had to store product and locate it. And, and so all of a sudden they were building this for their own use, it's very similar to yours. Was there a particular moment in time where you were like, hey, you know what? I, I can't be the only one that needs something like this. And then, you know, decided to, to maybe take it up a, a notch or two. Yeah, definitely. I think I think at the point where you know it really worked and it was really scalable, and you know I used to joke that I could be sitting anywhere in the world on the beach on my phone and just watching orders coming in and pushing buttons and and making sure orders were flowing to the warehouse. And it was really easy. And then I watched my business grow, like the rev- revenue triple, because all that automation was in place. Right. And I think that was the point where I was like, hey, if this works so well for me, and and I couldn't find anything uh, out there. Like it was exciting not to find something out there because then we knew we could go ahead and build it. Right. So I think that was a turning point, just knowing how well it worked for myself. And and you know, so when you set out to to create this, there was no thought in the back of your mind, or was there that this could be bigger, or did you just start out saying, "Hey, I, I just need to build something for myself," and then it kind of clicked that this was a bigger deal. Yeah, I think I think you know the intention always was to kind of build it for myself and build it you know, exactly for my business and what my needs were. And I think, you know, at that point, you know, of having, having used it for a year and a half, two years, you know, I, I think that was the, the point where we said, hey, it's worked so well, let's go out to the market and see if there's a need for it. Like, we're not gonna change anything. Let's just throw it out there in the market and see what happens, right? And, you know, and we had a whole ton of signups within that first month and, you know, and then we saw, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it opened up the floodgates and when we saw a bunch of other issues that we didn't realize because my business was so unique. Um, but now we had other businesses using it and, and requests for features. And we saw there was like some excitement there, a new tool in the marketplace. And, you know, we were on the Shopify app store and then just, uh, you know, decided, hey, let's go in even deeper, raise some money, um, you know, VC money and go out there and really rebuild this. Yeah, awesome segue there, Jason. So I think, Brian, it just is a sentiment that rings so true, right? You have a great idea and a great developer. And then now you pointed on uh, investments, right? We had Eric from Brunt Workwear who talked about his start. Um, His background was a little different, but still kind of that same sentiment, right? But can you tell us a little bit about your experience in that investment community space? Um, What was your experience there? You know, it's... It's tough, you know, being, you know, like you're a first time founder, you know, even though I've had like other businesses, it's, you know, nothing where you've brought on money before uh, VC money. So, you know, being a first time, uh, uh, first time entrepreneur going out and looking to raise money, it is a little bit of a challenge and, and not knowing. So I think, I think having some people in our circle that have done it before and had that experience was really kind of critical and kind of putting us in the right path. I mean, even starting like how you're going to raise money, whether it's convertible notes or equity. You know, what do you mean? You to, Just keep selling the pills. Just keep yeah. selling the pills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, it's, there's, there's a lot there with raising money and, right. and, you know, thankfully my co-founder Mike took on a lot of that and flying back and forth to San Francisco a lot. So uh, he handled a lot of that aspect. And I think what we're really looking for is we were looking to raise money from, from a, a VC firm or a team or, you know, a seed team where uh, they had that experience with other direct to consumer brands and, you know, other businesses like ours. And I think that's what's critical is finding people that have done it before, um, you know, in our industry. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you that too about just how how do you commercialize it when it's not what your background was previously, right? And then get out there. Was there any was there any thoughts around bootstrapping it, or did you just feel like that wasn't an option for you? I don't think it was an option. You know, uh, we you know we see how fast the whole direct to consumer space is changing, and how fast some of these brands are growing. And for us to bootstrap it, we knew we were going to get left behind. Um, we just need, we just want to run really fast, take on money, you know, solve the problem, and grow and scale, right? And I think. I think the main reason we wanted to raise money was to get the right people and the right seats at our company. Um, you know, we didn't have a whole ton of experience with with a go-to-market strategy and scaling up a company like this and B2B uh, SaaS sales. So yep. I think bringing in those right people was really critical. It really allowed us to really start to scale. Yeah, it's wild to think about it even back then. And I'm glad you shared the date. That was my curiosity. When did this all go down? 2013, things were already evolving at such a fast pace. And now we fast forward, right, and saw the growth that happened pre-pandemic and now, well, hopefully post-pandemic, but after, you know, that first push. And it's just wild to see how that still maintains such a common theme in e-commerce, right? You're either you're either evolving or you're going to be left behind. So yeah. I think it's a great call out. Yeah, yeah and definitely. And I, I think it's interesting too, and this is sort of uh, maybe a little bit of two paths. You know, if you're if you're an e-commerce brand, you probably can get away with trying to bootstrap it for a, for a little while. But when you're on the tech side, like 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 you were saying, Jason, it changes at at a thousand miles an hour. It, you you need that finance because you cannot there cannot be any delays. You have to be out in front, or else somebody's going to come in and fill that space before you can. No doubt, and, and it's a whole different world when you're looking at like a direct-to-consumer brand selling sweatshirts and T-shirts, right? You can there's a lot of things you can do there to scale really, really fast and bootstrap, right? Whether it's influencers or Instagram or ad spend, and, and you know you just you just hit something where now your brand takes off, right? Where B2B SaaS sales, especially in the space that we're in, like enterprise sales, sales cycles are long. You know, it's yeah. it's it takes a longer time. Touch points are long, sales cycles are long, so um, it, it's you don't grow as fast as, as one of those direct-to-consumer brands that might, you know, just uh, get influencers and somebody wears their T-shirts on TV and next thing you know they're exploding with orders. So right, right, yeah, exactly, exactly right. So so tell us a little bit about you know the evolution of you know you 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 get your finance. I'm I'm sure you stepped up and ramped up around product development and and, and designing and so tell us a little bit about the next step of where you were how you commercialize the product yeah so you know we we went out we had an app on the shopify app store right and we got a lot of like small businesses to use our app and really gain some feedback there and then i think you know we 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 had a few brands that were a little bit smaller at the time uh jump on our platform and then those brands exploded and and I think that's what helped us really. No better story scale. than that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. Right. And, and that's what helped us scale because the brands that we had on our platform that were small that suddenly exploded to massive brands. Yep. They were kind of you know helping us push the product along. Yep. You know they were doing things that other direct to consumer brands aren't going to be doing for six months to a year later. Yep. So we really were able to take their suggestions and what features they needed in our product and really productize that on our platform. Yeah. Almost like funded funded development, right? These these brands were paying us to build features for them that we knew that other brands were going 
going to use down the road. So right. we really kind of got lucky there with that. I think there's also that when you when you have brands like that, you know, it's their opportunity, right? They have that they have that one chance to shine, and they need to get out in front of it. So they're challenging themselves, and and you as a as a partner, and obviously a good partner with them, they're challenging you too, right? And they're saying, hey, we need you to keep up with us, and and you know, one of two things can happen: either you, you trip and you fall, and you hold them back, or you do whatever it takes to get there, and it can really help both brands or both uh, or, or both partners in that scenario significantly. Yeah, no doubt. And, and the brands that we had in the beginning and, and still have to this day, some very uh, awesome brands, I think they were really understanding of the fact that we were building a platform. So they would give us ideas, and they had input, right? So I think that's what they got with us. Where they maybe wouldn't have gotten with a with a bigger company at that time, you know, they got input into our roadmap, you know, and we would we would take their uh, suggestions to heart and really build exactly what they needed. Like I said, knowing that other brands were going to need the same same features and same kind of product and uh, scalability. It's so refreshing to hear these younger brands were so invested and saw the the power and how to leverage an, an OMS, an order management system. Um, I feel like sometimes folks come late to the game. What were some challenges that those early development features were overcoming for these for these startups? I mean, it, it, everything, you know, I think a lot of brands come in and, and think that they have a whole bunch of feature requests and they assume that the WMS system can do that. And, and there's limitations, right? And, and the WMS system really is, is a system that is within the four walls of the warehouse, right? Where the OMS layer is a layer above that connects to uh, the WMS. So I think there's a lot of features in there, whether it's, you know, um, business logic, like split shipping and distributed order management, things as simple as maturation periods, gestation periods, you know, where the orders can mature. So if there's any changes to those orders. So I think, I think that, and just really like back then in the early days, it was basic functionality, like taking your order uh, from Shopify or from your sales channel and, and making sure it got to your warehouse. And then that fulfillment data got from the warehouse back to Shopify in a timely fashion. I mean, that's, and then that your inventory was accurate. So that way you weren't creating back orders or overselling, you know, which we know affects your NPS score, right? So um, I think that was just basic functionality there. Like, hey, let's start with that. We just need the basics. And then yeah. from there, it's just like, let's build on it. You know, now, now we're opening multiple warehouses and multiple geos and multiple nodes within the United States. And now it gets more complicated. Now we're going to add an ERP system. So I think that's where the complexity gets to. Yeah, but, but why not start with those fundamental concepts, right? right. Like, let's yeah. start from the beginning, like very simple things that you're alluding to that can really make or break a business in the beginning stages. Exactly. When you boil it down, like what do customers want? They want to order your goods, right? They want to order that hoodie or T-shirt, and they want to know when it's shipped, and then when they want to know when it's going to arrive, right? And they right. want everything to be really easy, and, and, and that's the – you know, that's the basics, right. making sure that the customer is happy. And yeah. then that allows your brand to, you know, I think that's why the brands that we had in the beginning and still have, I think that's why they scaled so quickly is because they were really attuned to the customer experience. It's critical. And one of the things that you didn't mention is that when a customer orders it online, that they're not going to get a, a note the next day saying we're out of that product. Yeah. Right. Having, that's having that, the worst. 
Exactly right. It's <laughs> <laughs> the worst. Yeah, I think right. that's one of the, the critical things we solve for, right? And we hear brands say, you know, they have a lot of back orders, they have overselling, right? Those uh, sometimes brands don't understand like how critical of an event that is. You know, we we talk to brands and like, oh yeah, it happens all the time. We just email the customer and tell them it's out of stock, but now you just lost that customer, right? Yeah. You spend a ton of money to acquire that customer. You know, and now you just lost that customer. And we all know, we've all heard that it's much cheaper to retain customers than, than to acquire them, right? So, you know, it's and it's simple. Make sure that your inventory is, is accurate so that way you're not creating those back orders. I will tell you, you hit it on the head. And I would say to a brand, every single one of the successful brands that we fulfill for manage that customer experience uh, to to and, and really make sure every I is dotted, T is crossed, and that experience is one where no one ever thinks twice about going back and ordering again. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I think brands are really focusing on that fulfillment experience, right? Making sure that the order ships, you know, within the day when it's placed, it's getting to the customer within two to three days. You know, there's a nice unboxing event where, you know, it's, yeah, it's branded, it has your logo on it, and I think it, it's it's something that, you know, it was taken for granted in the early days, right? Yep. Like my vitamin business, hey, I'm throwing a bottle in a manila, manila envelope and sending it out, right? That's yep. it. But now it's like there's much, much more you can do with that fulfillment experience. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going to go. Like everyone focuses on post-purchase experience, but if you don't have that order management system driving it appropriately to where it needs to go, it may not even arrive, right? Like they might not even be an unboxing because to your point, Brian, the, the product was out of stock. Or now it's taking a, a lifetime because you just distributed out of the wrong distribution point. So I think the the OMS, just that overarching theme of the power of the OMS is just is fantastic. Yeah, and, and it's like we talked about, uh, I, I've talked about this with a couple of our returns partners. I'm old enough to remember back in the day where the, where the concept was, let's make it as difficult as possible <laughs> yeah. to return the product to discourage returns. And what you did was you 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 discouraged a repeat buyer, yeah. is is really what was happening. So then it went the complete opposite. It's like let's make this as easy and painless as possible, and people appreciate that because you know and it, it, well we we deal with a lot of fashion companies, and you're you're talking twenty plus percent is coming back in a return. So if you made that very if there was a lot of friction there, people are just not going to. They're just not going to order. So the experience has to be has to be pretty seamless and, and, and fluid. Yeah, no doubt. That's you hit it hit it on the head there. You know, it's gotta be as easy as possible for that customer to return it. Yep. Um yeah, I yeah. think I think as far as the OMS, like, you know, I, I like to think of the OMS as like that brain layer, right? That com command center where, you know, orders are coming in and there's a whole bunch of data there and there's, you know, actionable insights and error reporting. So it really gives you know, our customers an insight into those order and inventory activities, you know, making sure they can be proactive. You know, if, if a customer is not going to receive it, they can be proactive and, and reach out to that customer. And Jason, can you just explain a little bit to, to those who might not understand, what is the difference between an OMS and an ERP? Yeah, so we, we, we an OMS really handles, uh, you know, advanced order management and real-time inventory management. Sometimes that can be done in an ERP, 
but I really like to split it up where ERP handles your financials and the OMS and IMS handles inventories and, and orders, right? We have connectors to NetSuite, so, you know, we play very nicely with NetSuite. But what we've seen brands do is, you know, they'll attempt to do the advanced order management and IMS and, and NetSuite, but sometimes some of those tools were built in the 90s for, for B2B sales, right? right? And they haven't really evolved to the point where they're like purpose-built for direct-to-consumer brands. And right. I think that's sometimes what an OMS, you know, a cloud-based, you know, serverless OMS where it just can scale up infinitely, you know, because you want to make sure that inventory data and order data flows in real time, right? ERP data, like financial data, end of month, end of day, end of quarter, you know, it doesn't need to be there in real time. So I think that's what the difference is, is, you know, most of the OMSs today are really built for those fast growing, high skew count, you know, apparel, footwear brands uh, that are really going to need an OMS layer. Interesting. So it's, it's more nimble, I guess, than really getting involved with an ERP. Yeah, I think the, the setup is easier. It's more nimble. It's, it's scalable. Um, you know, it's probably going to be more cost effective than setting all this up in an ERP. You know, and then, yep. and I think it's just easier because, you know, the modern day OMSs also have integrations to the best in class tools that you're already using, right? If you're using a forecasting tool or you're using a help desk like Gorgeous, right? Like our systems connect to all those. So that way we can make sure all that data is flowing to the, to the customer using our platform. So just easier connections and easier setup and, you know, you don't need somebody maintaining, uh, you know, a whole NetSuite instance or an ERP instance, SAP, NetSuite, you know, any of those big monolithic uh, ERP systems. Yeah, and it sounds like that kind of antiquated thought process, like I'm growing up as a brand, I need to get on an ERP. Yeah, it's just no a doubt. thing of the past, right? Like now folks are putting together top-notch technology from different spaces. You know, they're building out that tech stack, using the headless technology, just making sure that they're able to diversify to continue to scale is what it sounds like. Yeah, no doubt. Like there's no such thing as an all-in-one platform, right? I think we've all, you know, tried to find that unicorn out there and say, hey, I want a system that does, and I have a whole list of features, right? And there's just not one system that does that. And I think I think brands today realize that and then instead are like, hey, I want to buy the best in class systems. I want to buy the best in class forecasting tool, the best in class OMS, best in class ERP. I want to make sure they all collaborate, talk to each other, integrate, and, and, and then building out your tech stack. You know, that's what we see a lot of brands doing is, hey, we're moving our moving warehouses, we've outgrown our partner. We're using this time when we're moving warehouses to also look at rebuilding our tech stack, right? Because we don't want to have to do this again. We want something that we can plug and play, right? Now we we need a, a, a more robust ERP, very easy to plug something else in there. You know, we're going to move from QuickBooks to NetSuite, easy plug and play, right? So I think right. that's what brands are looking for. Yeah, and sometimes for us as fulfillment folks, that's like the kiss of death. Right, like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna tackle the ERP first, and then we're gonna uh, consider switching. I'm like, okay, see you in two years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and, you know, and that's that's why like an OMS is much easier. It's a much easier lift than spending two years to you know build out an ERP system, and then it's still never right, right? Like, right, right. You, you still maybe... have somebody that's maintaining it and pulling their hair out and working in spreadsheets, and it still isn't exactly what they're looking for. No. Yeah, maybe you never make it to ERP land because you didn't. Have have the OMS driving that those sales, right? So I, yeah. I think it's uh, not a one-size-fits-all in the progress of adding or removing tech stacks, but it's nice to hear that there are solutions out there that play nice with everybody. 
Yeah, definitely. I think that's what the future is, right? Is making sure that all your tech pieces collaborate, speak yep. to each other. You know, I mean, what's more important than, than having your inventory and order data also lining up with your marketing data, right? So right. we're seeing we're seeing a lot of brands take the data. You know, we have a whole BI tool in our system, but we're actually seeing brands taking you know, exports from RBI tool and then their marketing data, Google AdWords, you know, help desk uh, data and putting it all big in a bit together in a big data lake, right? Like yep. Snowflake and yep. and then having the ability to put BI on top of that. So that way they can say, hey, we're really heavy on blue sweatshirts in New York City, our, our distribution center in New York City. Maybe we should increase ad spend on that blue hoodie because now it's May and getting warm. So I think I think those are the use cases that brands are really looking for is having all that data in one spot so they can make those you know data-driven decisions. You know, for for a guy for a guy that comes out of uh, being a chiropractor and vitamins, you certainly know a lot about tech now. <laughs> yeah, I do. Like, you know, uh, you know, totally different world and totally different. And you know, uh, yeah, it's exciting. And I think I think that's what you need sometimes, right? Like, you do something for so many years, and you're like, hey, I'm getting brain dead here, just doing the same thing over and over and saying the same thing every day. And I'm like, I just needed a change and a challenge, and and this was definitely the challenge. Um, and it's you know perfect fit for me so yeah well you got you guys are doing a great job i mean uh, channel ape is has built quite a reputation in the market so you know congrats to you guys on on, on what you've built and I know it's 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 only nine years ago, and sometimes in the tech world that seems like forever ago. But you guys have done a you guys have done a tremendous amount in that in that period of time. Yeah. All right. So that was Dr. Jason DiPietro Paolo. Appreciate you coming on and uh, and talking to us. You know about the entrepreneurial experience is always exciting for us, but just you know kind of giving some insight into uh, you know the values of an OMS. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. And uh, it, was, it was a great talk. I could sit here and talk about this all day. So <laughs> anytime you want to have me, I'm, I'm available. So no, appreciate that. All right, Caitlin, you want to take us out? Sure. Thank you, Dr. Jason. I had to get one in there as well. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Make sure you check us out on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.